1: episode 83 of below the belt uh joined once again by uh author extraordinaire paul zanon how are you sir
2: i'm good cal thank you so much for having me back on i absolutely love this podcast love the questions that come through and uh, love the content that we discuss
1: yeah man it was we covered a lot of stuff last time uh we obviously covered the the, the fights coming up the fights that we've seen and then we go off on our tangents and the tangents is where the gold is I think sometimes so yeah thank you thanks for coming back on Paul I think ladies first I think we'll start off with the ladies from last night because Chantel Cameron has given Britain another world champion Paul what did you think about her performance?
2: I thought she she did it incredibly well every fight she's been getting better and better um she's uh, she's got a new nickname which is um Icap or which Coming from Italian, uh, it could be um, maybe El Capo, but either way, they basically saying the boss. And um, uh-huh. I think that's better than sort of wham, bam, um, Chantel, cam sort of thing, as she was sort of known before, um, because her style has changed a lot. And under Jamie Moore, um, he's got to choose her punches. And yesterday, um, the lady she was in with, uh, from the get-go, she wanted to sort of go in and basically trade punches. And um, Chantel worked off the back foot, did very well. Uh, jab moved off at angles um hit at angles as well and uh when she did put her punches together in the offense she was doing bunches of threes and fours and then moving away as opposed to the old days where she was standing there for maybe a 15 fight a 15 punch trade-off which um which wasn't you know sort of which wasn't great her opponent yeah let's be honest it wasn't clarissa shields you know but um it was certainly a step up she was very durable um she needs to invest in a sports bra because that looked like a a little number that you'd use in the bedroom instead, to be honest, that thin little straps over the arms. And uh, Ian John Lewis had a pop one of her boobs back in at one point. So, um, but, uh, but listen, Chantel Cameron did fantastically. And at uh, that weight division, she's got um, so many options ahead of her. And with the likes of MTK and uh, an Eddie Hearn of Matchroom to now basically guide her in the right direction. Um, she's got options to lock horns with the likes of Jessica McCaskill, who originally she was supposed to be fighting, um, and then, you know, obviously, McCaskill went and fought Breakhouse, but Breakhouse could be a, a fight for, um, uh, for Chantel because Breakhouse might think to herself, well, in order for me to get some sort of traction again back at world level, I might need to get a strap. Why don't I rip it off Chantel Cameron? And then obviously that would be a great fight for Chantel. Um, there's there's a the big one, Katie Taylor. Um, there's there's a whole list of great Delphine Persoon, loads and loads and loads waiting for Chantel there. And she's at an age at the moment where she's maturing perfectly. So I thought she did very well. It was a faultless performance. And, um, yeah, I can't wait for whoever she's matched up with next. She needs to make sure she has a good rest as well, though, because that's a full full 10 rounds, albeit two minutes. But, um, but she did phenomenally well. And, uh, you know, uh, she took a few shots as well. She can really take a punch. But I, I thought she did very well. Britain should be very proud of her.
1: Yeah, it's, it's 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 great that we've that we've got another world champion, and uh, uh, her opponent Adriana dos Santos, who was a, a, at least a weight division bigger, um, at least a weight division bigger than her. She she couldn't make the weight. She weighed one forty five, uh, five pounds over the limit. Uh, the board told her to not try and make the weight because I think she travelled over quite late, and there was she said there was some water retention, and so she couldn't she couldn't make the weight at all. Um, but there was at least a weight division between them. Like you said, she she took some good shots, Cameron. She did. She really did take some good shots, and she sh- used her feet really well. Took a couple of clips, but mainly mainly just boxed off the back foot. B- used her feet well. I actually thought she buzzed her a couple of times, considering considering she was considering that uh, DeSantos was bigger. Uh, I, I thought ca- Cameron buzzed her. I thought Cameron buzzed her at least once, um, and I right. thought she boxed really really well. I, am I right in thinking that Breakhouse has got a rematch with McCaskill?
2: Yeah. So um, after McCaskill, it was uh, it was kind of the impression you kind of got was oh you know um, I've had a great career and you know fair play to McCaskill and that's it. And then she probably woke up in the morning and, and f- suddenly had the grit again and uh, and thought hmm you know what maybe I shouldn't totally dismiss sort to of come back. And then probably a day or two after that I was like right that's it I want the rematch I'm I'm not done here. And it wasn't a landslide by. By any sort of uh, means, you know, but, um, but again, it's it really hot up the, the division once more because you've got McCaskill, who's lost to to Katie Taylor. You've got Chantel, who's now, you know, the new king on the patch as well. The new queen, shall I say. Um, it's, it's a great, great division to, to, to throw anyone amongst anyone. I mean, Delphine Passoon against um, Chantel, that's a cracking fight just waiting to happen, that one, you know. So um, I I'm, tell you what,
1: I'm absolutely loving the women's boxing at the moment. Mm. Uh, at the at the very very top of the sport there's a lot of good fights to be made i think at the the elite level there's there's a, a lot of good fights out there uh and i've um i've said this before i would really like to see delphine Passoon against tasha jonas because Passoon said after the katie taylor fight the second one that she felt she was too small for lightweight and if you look at look at her historically she's not really a lightweight Weight pursuit and her style with Tasha Jonas's style. Oh, I think that's made for fireworks. That fight, I think that'd be an absolute cracker.
2: Yeah, you won't need a referee there. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's first gonna be sort of leaning on each other all the way through. I, um, yeah, I mean, uh, Tasha Jonas, um, uh, she, she fought incredibly well. Um, in her last outing, everyone thought she was gonna get steamrolled, but she didn't. And uh, the champion walked away with all the bruises, in fact. So, uh, but um, you know, Tasha Jonas, just one of the most. Lovely, lovely power. I've had the uh, the opportunity to um to chat with her at the Sky Sports studios for an hour, and um you're sitting there. You've got this, you've got this beautiful lady sitting in front of you, sort of calm, collected. Um, and it's almost like you need to remind yourself of what she's like when she's in the ring afterwards, because she she's got a, a lovely, aggressive, controlled aggressive streak in there, and she she's lovely to watch. She really is. She's got great technique as well. You can see how how why even she did well as an amateur you can also see that sort of rotunda amateur boxing club traits coming out as well you know training alongside the likes of the bellews and whoever else and the smiths you know so um but yeah she um she's great i hope she doesn't hang up the gloves just yet and um you know she was one of the first people to uh, congratulate Chantel cameron yesterday and you know Chantel against uh tasha jonas that
1: that that's that, that's another one to throw into the pot you know Yeah, it'd be a bit of a leap in weight. It'd be about £10, but maybe they could do something somewhere in the middle, or I think Tasha Jonas wouldn't mind knowing her i don't think she'd mind i think she'd go up and fight and fight Chantel Cameron no problem, problem at all just sticking with with the, with, with with the women uh, paul they they announced uh, a couple of fights last night so Katie Taylor she's got a mandatory uh, she's going to stay at lightweight it seems for now and she's going to defend her, her WBA title and on the same card um Terry Harper's going to defend as well uh, again, a mandatory challenger, and Rachel Ball, who beat Shannon Courtney, of a mild shock. It was a mild upset, wasn't it? Um, she's challenging for the WBA bantam title against the Bain, uh, Ebony Bridges. Uh, yeah. What do you think? Th- I think that's quite the vote of confidence that that, that Matram are putting on, almost an all-female card.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think it's quite it's quite sort of mouth-watering card. Um, there was a lot of criticism from people saying. Um, that you should be putting someone in um, to sort of you know world title eliminated fight at, at, at like four fights in, but I mean Ball's only had about what seven or eight fights as well. Um, yeah. However, yeah, she's six um, and one. Yeah, yeah, Ball was a um, uh, a former sort of world champion kickboxer, so she's you know very acquainted with uh, with with being in a ring and being hit and whatever else. And uh, as we noticed against Courtney, you know she can certainly belt, and, and then that, that was counter. Punch timing and it's at, at its greatest when she did catch her uh, Courtney afterwards. You've got to give her. I mean, she clawed it back and um, she. You know, I, it, it could have gone either way. To be honest, towards the end, mm-hmm. it was definitely the knockdown that um, that the, the sort of basically got the, the decision for ball. Um, I'm, I'm sure Courtney's going to come back better and stronger. You know, so uh, but. Um, But yeah, Ebony Bridges. um, There's uh, done a few. Saw Twitter this afternoon. So this afternoon being the fifth of of October. um, Mm -hmm. Basically, there's a a lady from Singapore who decided to uh, put a statement out there, a little comment, should I say, saying something like, "So if you want to get a, a a world title fight, you basically need to get fake boobs and sell socks." Um so uh, although she didn't copy Ebony Bridges in, but that was the I think the idea. So Ebony right. Bridges kind of jumped back in and said getting fake boobs is a great idea and they <laughs> can kind of see, see see the thread. So she's um she's defended herself very well in terms of words and um I think it, what it comes down to is that Ebony Bridges to a better extent is uh you know, she's a good looking girl. Um, you know, w- whether she has fake boobs or not is not really the question. The only question I would have, just as as a quick note there on fake boobs is from a medical perspective, how many pounds per square inch would it take in terms of a punch to actually rupture a boob? And, uh, you know, and and is there adequate protection uh, with the sort of breast protectors they're wearing, et cetera? Because the last thing we want is is anything, you know, sort of sinister to be happening from that side. So um, I I don't know how many other fighters have um, fake boobs and what the risks are in them, what the the boards of control actually sort of uh, weigh up, no puns intended, or anything, but weigh up in terms of the sort of risk Versus reward in terms of stepping into the ring with, with, with sort of um, with, with fake boobs, but but um, but I, I like Ebony Bridges' character. I think she's good for the sport, and this has been basically built up partly from her character and entertainment factor, and the fact she's a good-looking girl, and she's um, she's kind of that's kind of helped to to sell it for her. Um, I genuinely think she will leave everything in the ring against Bull. Um, I've I've had a look at a few of her fights, and she she's actually she really puts up punches together well. Uh, I think the concern from a few people, like I said, is that you've got someone, a four-fight novice going in with ball who's got a lot more experience between her kickboxing experience, etc. But um, women's boxing, sort of pan-women's boxing, apart from the elite level, the majority of it is still in the embryonic stages. So yeah. we almost need to let these fights sort of go through the mill to be able to create the landscape to a better extent, you know. So, um, But I think that that card, a purely women's card, Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Love it. I'm certainly tuning in. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I I think absolutely. I think it's um, I don't know if I've I've, I've said this to you before, but it's about representation and representation. is such a massive thing, not just in sport, in films. Anything you can think of representation is so important. And if little girls see an all women's card and see big time boxing, but just the girls or majority of the girls, that's only good for the sport. And like you said, you know, women's boxing right now is in the embryonic stage. And the elite level is really good and it is elite, but then below that it's not great. It's kind of where MMA was four or five years ago when I'm not an MMA expert, but you know, Ronda Rousey was just tapping everybody out in forty five seconds and then two years later the division, the sport caught up with her and she she quickly got found out. And I think that's where we are right now. I think the elite women are could live. I think they could live in any era of women's boxing. Uh, Clarissa Shields and Katie Taylor, particularly. I think those two are levels above everybody else, and Brackhouse as well. Uh, and I think those the elite level that they're they're elite in the truest possible sense of the word. Um, do you think that there's a danger that that because we always talk about in the, in men in men's boxing about how world titles are diluted, and do we feel that, that that's that's post that could possibly happen in the women's sport as well with, with oh absolutely these.
2: no doubt yeah no doubt at all um that's why uh, somewhere along the line the likes of uh, you know Callie and lisa salander are going to create a world boxing super serious for women without a doubt i mean if they were to, if they were to do one right now at lightweight yeah. that'd be sensational you know um I, I would strongly urge caroline dubois to get her pro license and jump in there which is a way she would operate at and you'd have like the 18 year old novice versus you know um, hopefully you get the likes of the Katie Taylors and the Pursoons and everyone else in there. You know, you have a, a nice lineup. I think it, it would be sensational. It would be really, really good. Um, I think we're a little bit sort of a little bit away from getting those sort of tournaments. But that would be how you would um, deal with the problem. The same way we're dealing with the men's. So um, I think the, the whole belt situation has become farcical um, for a number of years now and uh, people don't really care too much in terms of which sanctioning body is uh, is is put their name to the fight um for me these days in all honesty I, I don't even look at what titles are going on i couldn't even tell you what say for example on to later joshua boazzi was defending the other day it's uh, you know another strap sort of you know a piece of leather with jewels in it appeared again you know and uh, and that was yeah. it but it, for me it's all about um the fighters Who's generally got the rankings up there Forget about the belts And um, and how they perform on the day And uh, how they perform on the day Against their adversary Is kind of what's Going to make them the money At the end of the day Because there's quite a few numbers, There's quite a few fights over the years Which have not been uh, for a world title And, uh, and they've earned a crap load of money Because it was two good fighters in the ring
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right It's all about the fight And do you know what particularly upsets me um, Is when you'll see a novice fighter and I can't imagine they're making bundles of money and they're fighting for some WBA bauble or WBO continental title or something. And I think they've given up a piece of their purse for that. That's that's always the thing that bothers me is when I see it, I think you've given up a chunk of your purse. You're probably not getting paid much anyway. And you've given up a chunk of your purse for a belt for a silly belt and a ranking really it's for the ranking isn't it because they're trying to get into to position to fight for a world title but it's something that always that always bothers me but one thing i do know about fighters is they do love belts <laughs> they love a belt. well
2: you know what um it, there's uh you've got the iba belt in america I mean, i'd sooner fight for the ipa belt you know instead uh, i'm a strong lover of pale ale and ipa so i'd probably want to fight for that so i'll get a couple of cases of that instead but um i'll give an example of the belts and how um it can really how can i put it damage your reputation of a person by winning one to an extent i wrote an article the other day about joe bugner for british vintage boxing Mm -hmm. you know 32 year career and um one of the last titles he won was the wbf um title and um i think he won it against james bonecrusher smith where he punched him in the shoulder and um shoulder smith's shoulder popped out and that was the end of the fight you know uh, I think their, uh, their great-grandchildren at ringside love the, um, the fight, you know. So, um, But um, but ultimately, people forget that people remember Joe Bugman, the fact, especially in Australia. He was the guy who won a world title. But they forget yes. that that's just a Mickey Mouse uh, sort of trinket. Um, the man actually won the British and uh, Commonwealth title, I believe, twice. He was a European heavyweight champion three times. He fought Muhammad Ali twice. He fought Ernie Shavers. He fought Ron Lyle in a cracking fight. Um, those are the sort of things that people remember. Not all of those were sanctioned fights. That's yeah. what people should remember. And the Mickey Mouse belts that are flying out at the moment. Nah, we can do without them.
1: There was actually some discussion on uh, online last night where they felt because they're just throwing world titles at women, shouldn't shouldn't the girls be fighting for um british or commonwealth titles instead and i've always felt like the the british or the commonwealth or the european title i think those belts are as good as the fights that are made for those titles if that makes sense and yeah if, if you're making good fights for those titles then the title means more um and because the british title in particular is something i'm quite passionate about the british title it's such a beautiful belt it has like you just said there you know Joe is that great picture which i know british vintage boxing have posted a few times of henry cooper with his free lonsdale belts that he won outright and that's that it has such a fantastic history to it the british title and it's and it, today it's won and it's vacated isn't it? it it's vacated very quickly because they're moving on to a wba intercontinental title do we think that the the, the, the pro- was perhaps undervalue the domestic titles and do you think it's yeah they, absolutely I mean, for me
2: um when i look at a fighter um it, it's certainly from the uk i i always look at whether they're going the traditional route so you know we come back to my one of my favorites daniel dubois he, you know he's won the british he's won the commonwealth and now he's fight for the european title not the wbo the ibf but the, the proper eu the you know the the blue EBU EBU. and hmm. um, the ebu and uh, you know it's uh, it, it's very important absolutely you know you've got to like to say jamie moore who who defended the British title? Um, I think six times, six, seven times. You know, he won the Lonsdale belt um, twice, uh, outright twice. And um, you know, it, the fact that he didn't win a world title for me, I think he's achieved more by winning the Lonsdale belt outright twice than uh, than winning the whatever you know Mickey Mouse sort of moniker of of, of a world title. However, from a promoter and manager's um, perspective, the echelons up there. Um, if you are able to gain yourself the moniker of world champion european champion um in any format or intercontinental etc that gives financial traction and at the end of the day it's a business and uh, and that's where uh you know f- from every level um a belt is almost needed and uh, not warranted but, but sort of needed just to get that traction
0: mm.
1: i think you're absolutely right and i think uh, again i've said this before but it, once you've won a world title or even fought for a world title, you will continue to get fights based off of that because you're a former world title challenger, aren't you? Or former titleist. And you think about, you know, even um, Andy Ruiz, you know, he won three titles, but then was pathetic in the rematch. If I'm honest, he was absolutely pathetic in that rematch, but he will get a seven figure payday in his next fight because he's former world heavyweight champion. Um, And, yeah, and so I understand why the domestic why the domestic titles are, are kind of forgotten about. Um, but I think it's a real shame, and I think there is a place in boxing for the domestic titles to be put on a higher pedestal than than perhaps what they are currently.
0: Uh, oh,
1: another, another one of our, our top uh, British fighters, um, and talking about the European title, Joshua Boazzi was on was on the card as well last night, and he fought uh, Marco Kalic. It was his first fight in a year. How do you think Boazzi looked?
2: Um, OK, I'm going to start the other way around. Marco okay. Calic. Um, yeah, a lot of exactly. people might, might not know much about him. Um, very, very good fighter. I mean, you know, he came in undefeated. He was, what, 11-0 um, against Boazzi. Boazzi was 12-0. Um, but this guy, you know, he, he had a very good um, amateur boxing career. And uh, on, on the very same build, you had Alan Babich, who's, you know, the, the heavyweight who's putting the fear of God into everyone He's calling people out. But he's, doing, he's, you know, he's, he's entertaining to watch. I don't know if he's yeah. a big enough heavyweight to be able to sort of damage the, the big boys. And it may be that he, if he's ever shrink down a bit and come in a cruiserweight, he'll, be, he'll have a long, long career there. But um, people don't realise that, uh, that, that um, Calic actually beat um, Alan Babich twice um, as an amateur. 2014-2015 uh, And um, and he, he was fighting a heavyweight So you could see yesterday There was a visible difference With mean, Marco Kalic Six foot three Boazzi's about six two But he looked a lot bigger in there And his frame was a lot bigger So for me This is almost Not a definitive Coming of age fight For, for Boazzi But there was an element of that um, He got hit with shots That he's never had to endure Previously um, He He certainly if, if you look at Kalich and Boazzi, they had matching left eyes at the end of the fight. They were all sort of, you know, busted out. Um, Boazzi was, sort of, you know, didn't want to be critical of himself. He just sort of said, you know, I, I realise I've got an injury here. I'd have to look the fight back afterwards and sort of go from there. But one thing I would say about Boazzi is this, is that um, he's a very, very intelligent fighter. And um, he's got a beautiful overhand, right? He's got very quick hands. Uh, the only criticism I saw from, from the fight last night was that, he planted himself um, when he got hit, then he stayed there for two or three shots. He'd put his hands up and try and close his guard, whereas he should have, the second he received one punch, should have moved off because there was a number of times where he was standing in the middle of the ring and he had options to back up, move to the side, um, do something. But instead he took like two, three punches, bam, 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 and then sort of moved off looking for the counter. So, um, but these are all things, you know, for him to sort of look, move forward with and, uh, and, and improve on. But, um, but I, I also genuinely think, people need to understand that Marco Calic was a very, very good fighter. Simple mm-hmm. as that. And, you know, don't be surprised if he challenges for world well honors at some point, sort of down the line as well. But, but for me, Boazzi, I think um, proved himself very well. And it sort of now sets up those, uh, those fights against Anthony Yard and, um, and Callum Johnson, who on, on the box rec ratings, for example, um, he's above both of them, but they're all fairly closely grouped up. And, you know, Yard is the one who um, everyone would sort of probably rate the highest in terms of what he's achieved by going yeah. against COVID. However, I remember last year interviewing on the beginning of this year, in fact, just uh, about a week and a half, two weeks before COVID. I interviewed um, Alex Butterbeef and um, uh, I'm sorry, um, Arthur Butterbeef. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and Butterbeef, I asked him about, you know, the current crop in the UK. And he said, Johnson's a good fighter, because memory serves me, I think Johnson was the only person to actually yeah. drop him down. And he said, good fighter, hard, lots of guts in it. i I I've got a lot of time for him. And he kept saying, wish him the best, as I don't know him. <laughs> he said, wish him the best anyway. And he said, I would fight him again. He said, a lot of heart. He said, very, very strong. And I said, what about Anthony Yard and Joshua Boazzi? And it's in the article for the now defunct Boxing Monthly magazine. He said, Yard, he says, uh he said, I, I don't really know a lot about, he says, but I did see that he got beaten up by Kovalev. And he said, and I, I fought Kovalev and Spardin many times. And he says, and that's not a person who worries me. He says, but um, Biard wouldn't worry me. He said, but Buatzi, so said, from what I've seen at the Olympics and, uh, and, and from what I've heard, he said, I think he could maybe be a fight down the line. We know, you know, we don't know. So, but either way, the fight last night certainly pushed Buatzi in the right direction. Maybe he didn't go the way he wanted it all the way at the beginning. But, um, but he finished the way it needed to be done, picked his shots nicely. He had an injury in his eye, would be interested to know if there was any damage underneath the skin. And um, yeah, Callum Johnson, Anthony Yard, let's get it on.
1: Callum Johnson seems to be the one that's talking, being spoken about a little bit louder. Uh, it seems like Callum Johnson wants it, or um, actually wants it. They're obviously both under the same promotional banner. Callum Johnson's, what, 35 now? He's,
2: he's 35,
1: 35, yeah. He's 35. He's had a world title fight. If he wants another one, traditionally the EBU title has led to a high WBC ranking, hasn't it? Traditionally, it always kind of has. And if if those two were to fight for the for the EBU title, that could get them a fight with better B going down the line because better B is the WBC titleist, I believe, as well as IBF. Um, but, so makes sense, doesn't it? Buatsi Callum Johnson. Doesn't have to be on pay per view for once. Let's stick it on Sky Sports. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: I, so the, the, my only concern, I guess, with Johnson at the moment is that um, he hasn't fought since uh, March of two thousand nineteen. So uh, you're looking at almost two years until he actually sort of jumps in the ring again to a better extent. It's gone a year and a half, um, and he's going to need to have a tune up fight. If you go straight into, uh, a, you know, a big fight against those two with the exception of Sugar Ray Leonard against uh, Marvin Hagler, when you're going in at that level, um, you know, it's it best to have a bit of a tune-up and uh, sort of see how it goes from there. So um, I would say if Johnson has a, a tune-up against maybe, a, a, I don't know, um, one of Britain's sort of better fighters and um, sort of up-and-coming, maybe Shaq and Pitters or something, I don't know. Um, but uh, maybe, you know, I, I'm being silly there. But um, but who knows, you know? But if you can, if you can look good in a tune-up fight, then going against um, uh, Buatsi or Yard, or you know, I think the three of them need to fight off against each other, whichever way it happens.
1: Yeah, you know, there's there's obviously been a lot of talk about Frank Warren meeting up with Eddie Hearn, and then Eddie Hearn got got COVID. Um, that was supposed to be happening quite soon, but then yeah, Eddie got Eddie got COVID and uh, and Barry as well, bless him. So hopefully they both get well soon. I think if there's one fight I'd like to see them make, you know, cross cross promotional, it would be a Buatsi against Yard. I think that would just be massive. I think that'd be massive over here. But, yeah, I think Callum Johnson, you could put Callum Johnson, give him one of those four-rounders over in Spain or something like that just to get the rust off, you know, without without too much pressure on him, really. And then you can you can put Callum Johnson in with um, Joshua Bazzi for the European title, you know, uh, as soon as as, soon as possible, really. Um, Alan Babbage, we've just spoken about him. Just noticed he was actually under the cruiserweight limit for the fight last night.
2: Yeah, it, it, that's what I was saying. He's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not a big guy. And, um, you know, he, he can knock out people at this level, um, you know, as a cruiserweight um, fighting with heavyweights. But mm. it, there's, there's a big difference when you start going in with – I mean, I, I I give an example. I watched um, the fight with uh, Vianello, and, um, um, which was on the undercard of Zapeda, And um, he fought um, a guy called uh, – uh, is it eBay? Yeah, it's not eBay. As in, you know, you go and buy stuff on the marketplace. Things <laughs> yeah. EY, and a uh, right. big, big guy from Nigeria. A lovely jab to him. is a little bit shorter. Vianello was yeah. about six or six, and um, it was a draw. But right. I, I kind of had it around to eBay to be honest. Um, I thought he was you know powering uh, Vianello off his feet. You know, and uh, again another matchroom fighter there, but Vianello. Um, so that was a draw, and uh, and that was it. And it kind of shows that when you're moving up to that level now. You put in Alan Babich against someone like um, EBay. That's going to be a tough fight for him. The guy's six four, six five, probably weighs about sort of seventeen stone. His jabs look like they would cave in a wall. So um, it's all in good handling out the punches quickly, but knocking out a person with like your second or third punch tells you nothing about how well his, his stamina can go, um, whether he can take one on the whiskers, etc. So. But like I said, I reckon Babbage could have a hell of a career as a cruiserweight. He's got fast hands. He's got a hell of a heart. And he sells fights, you know. He's um, he's outspoken. I like the guy.
1: Yeah, I get it. I completely, I completely think you're absolutely right. I think if you can, I always think a fighter, if they can safely make a weight, they should box at that weight. I always just think it's maximize your physicality. Maximize what, what God gave you, if you like, what the body that you have. I always think if you're, if you're, boxing at too high a weight then it just it or even too low a weight it just doesn't always make sense to me really um, and i think you yeah, know Babich, he he is a cruiser he weighed cruiser uh, for this fight it makes sense for him to to box at cruiser um, but i get why he would box at heavyweight because like we spoke about last time paul there's boxing and then there's heavyweight boxing and, yeah. and people people pay to see the heavyweights you know i'll never forget being at the camden center to watch uh, it was a dylan it was dylan white when dylan white was just coming through and uh, this is before he was signed with matrim and all of that and i watched and i was watching watching all the undercard and you could hear all the the different people's family and friends you know they're there to support their guy they've all bought tickets to support their guy and then dylan came out to box and then the first bell went and everybody went silent and that's the heavyweights. That's what the heavyweights does to people because they know in the heavyweight division, anything can happen. And I can see why Babich would want to box at that division because there's just a little bit more exposure there, a little bit more, um, a little, there's more money there. There's more exposure there. Um, and like our good friend, Mark Butch always says, heavyweights, are, they're a little bit crazy because they don't have to make weight. And maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe him not having to make weight, even though he does kind of helps him with his crazy
2: <laughs> yeah I, th- I think you're right though, in terms of natural resting weights and how people operate at those weights etc because mm. um for whatever reason genetics you know it, people put on more muscle mass from an earlier age and, and and that's it but um yeah it'd be interesting to see how he sort of progresses now but uh if if anyone's got any sense and they can they can match him up with a um a, you know a nice cruiserweight bash that would be that would be good that'd mm. be really good
1: yeah, no, it's yeah. I, I would love to see him fight fight a cruiser or fight heavyweight. He's you know he's good fun for, for everyone. Let's now move on to the fight of the year. Or oh, it looks like the fight of the year nailed up. It's October, so you, you it's gonna it's gonna be pretty hard for someone to top this. Eight knockdowns <laughs> in five rounds. Jose Cepeda against Ivan Barancic. What a fight, Paul.
2: Oh, my God. Um, I mean, if you were bookies and you would put odds uh, in terms of one fighter winning it by sort of KO or the other one, um, you know, you'd you'd be going through sort of heart palpitations every other minute. It was uh, the thing is, as well, is that when one fighter was getting knocked down and then the other one got knocked down, you genuinely didn't know who was going to win the fight. I mean, it was that close to 50 50. And um, I mean, the first half of the fight, and bearing in mind it was only a five-round fight, but the first, let's call it the first couple of rounds, uh, Baranchek was powering Zepeda. I mean, Zepeda was getting these, these knockdowns, and he was getting them on counter punches, lovely, well-timed sort of hooks. But Baranchek was looking like he, was, he might sort of steamroll through Zepeda. Um, and then Zepeda computed the information of Baranchek moving to him and started to work the strategy of how to get around his attacks and um and he was also doing so with the economy movement so he, he was conserving a lot of energy which then allowed him to do beautiful sort of counter-attacks himself it was a great great fight and baron checks no mug i mean up to that point the only um loss he had was against you know our very own josh taylor the, yeah. the the best um the best fighter at 140 pounds in the world so um so you know it was a very very respectable um loss to sort of be having but zepeda uh he just kept coming on and coming on and uh, he was getting more and more intelligent through the fight. Um, I, I, I genuinely believe as well that when the knockdown happened, the punch that took him out, I mean, right, it was a peach of a punch. But I think Baroncheck was heavily gassed as well at that point. And um, I think if he'd have absorbed that punch in the first round, he might have got back up on his feet. But by this stage, Geez, I mean, eight knockdowns in a fight. At some point, one of those guys was going down. It was obvious there was no way that fight was ever going to go the distance. So um, if you were, you know, imagine that was live in a 20,000-seat arena. Oh, Oh, my goodness. geez, I mean, you know. I mean, but even just watching it on the TV, it it was one of those ones where I had a few of my mates that were trying to um, call me whilst i was watching it and i was like and reject all reject all uh, <laughs> this, is, this is brilliant you know i don't i don't i know i know i can watch it and pause it and whatever else but i thought like no i've got to watch this all the way through what a fight I, yeah.
1: oh, it really was something else and i actually, i i lost count you know i was trying to keep count of right like, he's got two knockdowns he's got three i and after i think i've got to like three two or something i was like and I was like, who's got three? Who's got two? I actually genuinely couldn't remember anymore that who had knocked down who the most times. Um, and if, But if we are going to try and analyse it, Brancic just came to, he kind of came out quicker. He, to me, looked a naturally bigger man. His back, his back looked so much bigger, Paul. He looked like a, a bigger fighter than Zabeda. And he looked, the guy that he was leading, he was doing the, the leading. You'd give him, if you were scoring it, which I don't know why you'd even bother, but if you were scoring it, you could, you perhaps, would, the, the, the rounds that were close, you could say, you know, his ring generalship's good, because neither of their defences were good. So, you'd, you know, if you're talking about B-crack categories, you'd go, all right, well, ring generalship, Barancic might, might take the rounds. And, but for me, Zepeda looked calm. Even through the craziness and the wildness of the fight itself, he looked calm to me. Uh, even when he was getting knocked down, he took that little bit longer to get up, whereas Brancic was up straight away. He was up really quick. And Yes, I'll take my A. Whereas Cepeda would give himself a couple of seconds. And, and for me, I may be overanalyzing, but Brancic seemed to go down a little bit heavier as well. When he went down, he went down hard. Um, Is
2: it gone? So I think it comes down to experience. Um, yeah. If you look at the two losses on um, on Zepeda's, um CV, mm. it was a majority decision against, to a better extent, the number two in the world, which was uh, Jose Carlos Ramirez. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was back in uh, beginning of last year. And, mm. uh, and the other loss was against our very own Terry Flanagan. But that was because Zapeda dislocated his shoulder. Um, it yes, didn't, you know, I remember. didn't go through the gears. So, um, you know, you can't really say... Uh, sort of you know, judge too much about Sabater on that particular fight, but they're both world world title fights, and uh, and that was it. So um, you know the, the the guy can fight. He's thirty one, and um, he's a bit of a throwback of excuse me, some of the Mexican guys. Obviously, he's not he's not Mexican. He's a um, he's, he's a Californian, but he reminds me of some of the Mexican guys, the likes of um, uh, uh, Manuel Medina and these sort of guys. You know that uh, very wily fighters who will be able to conserve energy, work their counteraction well, and had a great engine on them. And uh, I, I think, listen, he, he deserves a, a bona fide shot of the title against uh, Josh Taylor at some point down the line. I think that would be great because um, Taylor will probably be the, the, the aggressor. Zapeda has, has got a beautiful um, counter motion and he's got a very, very intelligent boxing brain in him. So uh, when you chuckle that into a ring, stuff's
1: going to happen. Absolutely. So that was for I know we, we've just been slagging these belts off, but that was for WBC silver title. So that means, you know, Cepeda's in in the conversation for a shot of the WBC title at some point. For me, you know, I, I think because we want to see an undisputed title fight between Ramirez and, and, and Taylor, then I want to I wouldn't mind seeing these two have a rematch and on a on a big pay-per-view card, you know, maybe Fury Wilder. Uh, Maybe a bit too soon, but something really, really big where they both get paid really, really well for it. Um, That's what I would like to see. How do you think that this fight compares to some of the classics from the past? Be it, you know, uh, Gay Ward is always always the one. You've got um, Ward against uh, Emmanuel Burton, Gay Van Robinson. How do you feel like this compares to those kind of fights from the past?
2: I think it's a cracking fight. Um, I think the uh, the reason why it won't probably get over the years, it won't get as much. Um, it won't get ranked as highly. Um, the only way I can sort of clarify what I'm trying to say here is: um, imagine watching sort of Gatti Ward or uh, Hagler Hearn's, uh, maybe not Hagler Hearn's, but sort of say Gatti Ward with the volume off. Yeah, um, that's you know that's what these guys had. It, it, often when when a fighter receives a blow, now if you listen to the guys who are commentating, you you very kindly sent me a link, and it was uh, the Spanish um sort of commentary on it which was great because they're very animated guys so when one guy yeah. got hit like, oh, hey, <laughs> like, you, know, you, get, you get picked up so yeah. that that sort of commentary almost sort of uh um what was your currently around about 500 the people. energy didn't it yeah it was great so but when you're when you're in a in an arena and someone gets hit and you hear the, the actual sort of uh, glove landing and then you hear that the crowd all standing up and shouting and screaming and whatever else that really gets you in the mood. And it might've just been quite an innocent blow. And it was just a little bit of a trip, whatever. But, um, but with this, uh, minus uh, the, the crowds to, uh, to G everyone up with eight.
0: It was phenomenal, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I lost you for a second there, Paul, but it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, you did, you did need this, the crowd, the crowd does make, it. And I think yeah, I think you're right. I think it will suffer historically uh, because because of the lack of the crowd. But it was still a fantastic fight, um, and it really, really was something to um, to marvel at. And yeah, you know, we've had a lot, we've had a lot of good boxing, and we've had some upsets over this, you know, kind of time of quarantine, you know. And but that, I think that one is it's going to take a special fight to kind of top to top that um, for the fight fight of the year of honors. Um, yeah. Oh, I've just remembered. Um, we've got a question, but also we've got a topic that I wanted to discuss. We need to talk about the Hall of Fame, Paul.
2: Hall of Fame, yes.
1: Hall, Let's of, talk fame. Hall of Fame. So they've changed the rules again. <laughs> they've changed the rules again. And this year, I think it's because they had to cancel it last year. Um, they're, they're going to allow five inductions. Um they're going to allow five inductions this year. And if I quickly just read through yeah. some of the people that are in, that are on the list of the ballot this year, and you can just try and pluck out five me, who your five would be. Um, Jorge Arke, Pauli Ayala, Nigel Ben, Timmy Bradley, Ivan Calderon, Joel Casamayor, Diego Corrales, Diego, uh, Miguel Cotto, uh, Chris Eubank, Carl Froch, uh, Leo uh, who is that, say Leo Gomez, uh, Ricky Hatton, Gennaro Hernandez, Chris John? Chris John got right near the Rocky Marciano, he was really close to that. Um, Mikhail Kesler, Vlad Klitschko, uh, Rocky Lockridge, uh, Miguel Laura, Rafael Marquez, he was in fights of the year. Um, Henry Musk, Floyd Mayweather Jr., um, uh, Darius uh, Mikaleski, uh, Sun Kill Moon, Michael Mora. Sven Ockay, Vinnie Paz, Gabriel Roman, Gianfranco Rossi, uh, Samuel Serrano, Antonio Tava, Mildred Taylor, James Tony, Fernando Vargas, Israel Vasquez, uh, Wilfredo Vasquez, uh, Andre Ward, and Rantana Sor Vorapin. There's some. Have a go at five, Paul. Have a go. Yeah.
2: What I, do you think? I mean, they, 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 you know, it, it's it's such a good punch of fighting. I've got. I've got five here, and uh, and I could give you another five, to, to, which is yeah. sort of parallel, I'm just going to give you these five just to sort of um, on, get a bit of flavour. So I think Vladimir Klitschko, um, right. yeah, yeah. achieving an incredible amount. Um, Diego Corrales, uh, I mean, you know, we we're talking before about entertainment. The man was Mister Entertainment when he was in the ring. Um, Floyd Mayweather, I mean, you know, Junior. Uh, for as much of a so-and-so that he can be, you can't take away what he does in the ring and how he's done it. And in uh, the different weight divisions, you know, um, everyone would love to be Floyd Mayweather Jr. As simple as that. uh Chris Eubank, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's got to be. It's got to be Chris Eubank. You Chris know, Eubank he's um, senior. Yeah, senior. Yeah, he's. Uh, you know, for, for, for again, for everything he, he's kind of done and the way he sort of acted and you know his persona and whatever else, but um he's an iconic part of British history. And uh, you know, he, he had someone that was at 20 odd defences of his of his world titles you know albeit maybe protected sort of in the UK but the man feared nobody and uh and that's it although he once did say that he was happy that he didn't fight Roy Jones Jr. or something like that you know but yeah. but that's it if the fight had been set up um Eubank would have brought hell to him and uh and it'd been interesting to see so um and my final one is um Andre Ward uh just because um, again, we talk about boxes that can compute information. Nobody computes information better than Andre Ward. He, he can change plans three times in a round. He's mm-hmm. phenomenally intelligent. um He, for example, when he fought against Carl uh, Froch, um, everyone at the beginning, Carl Froch just said all he's going to do is just go on his uh, get on his bite and back and you know sort of counter punch me in the other. He did the complete opposite. He started going in, um, standing toe to toe, working on the inside, making him miss and He just drove Karl Froch absolutely crazy. And uh, and that's it. So so for me, yeah, definitely Andre Ward. And also because uh, I think he's uh, he's just a lovely, lovely guy and a great sort of um, ambassador for the sport. So, I mean, you've got the likes of Sven Okker and Henry Maskin there who, um, Mm. again, were protected by, by, uh, uh, by Germany to a better extent. It's a shame because I think if they'd have done a few outings um, they were trying to keep this um un- unbeaten records Vennocker against Kalzagi, uh, it had probably lost Zvencker against uh, Mikha kessler it had probably lost but it, it had been a great trade off the titles you, you know if he was going to lose, then people would have at least said you know he, he lost against great champions in there so I think it didn't do them any favors to sort of totally keep it on the, uh, the german side of the border so that's provisionally my 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 five.
1: Yeah, no, that that no, I, I can't really argue with it. Really, I, I just just had a quick look while you was talking, and just have a look at what my five would be. Um, I'd like to see Kessler and Froch going in the same year, but I wouldn't want them to go in this year. I don't think they're they I don't think they're good enough to go above um, the, the 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 five that you've picked or you know the five that I picked. I've got Floyd Mayweather, obviously. Yeah he's a shoo-in um Vladimir Klitschko agree with you on that 100% reigning world heavyweight champion for 11 years he had the IBF title for 11 years uh, and lost to Tyson Fury who will go in the hall of fame himself one day so uh, Miguel Cotto Miguel Cotto was probably my, my my toughest pick Cotto um that was probably the one I struggled with the most um James Tony and like you Andre Ward as well uh Andre Ward one of my favorite fighters like you can like like you said, computes information so well. Took a guy like Carl Frotch and and I always say it, he made him look like a bum on the night. It's the only way I can word it. He made Carl Frotch look like a novice. He made yeah. him look slow and sluggish and he just he outmanned him. He met him on the inside and just beat him to the punch. It was a, it was a brilliant performance. The Sergei Kovalev, I know, uh, I, I think because of the because of the um, Kind of the, the controversy over both fights I thought he just nicked the first fight I had it the same as the judges on the night And the second fight What a way to, 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 put, a, to put a stamp on it There was a one or two low blows in there But, but Kovalev was done He was completely done uh, And he was never the same after that at Kovalev, he just wasn't the same fighter um, What I did notice as well Is that Roy Jones Jr Unless I've missed something Was supposed to be on this list And is not on this list I guess. Do you think it's to do with the Tyson thing that we spoke about last week? Um,
2: Or have I missed something? Is is it due to the fact that he's still going to fight? I mean, I don't know. Um, You know, is he still registered? You know, he's retired, what, a thousand times. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I I, I don't know. I think it's probably because of the Tyson fight. And uh, although it's an exhibition, um, but I, I I think it's probably that. It's, he's one of those ones that it's annoying because you almost wish that you could say Roy Jones Jr. stopped boxing in two thousand and three or something, you know. Um, because up to that point he was unbelievable to watch. He really was and uh, unbelievable, and probably to a better extent unbeatable. You know, it's a a, a peak Roy Jones Jr. Um, against say a peak um, Andre Ward. That would have been a hard one to choose. Uh, I think Roy Jones' hand speed might have just sort of won it, you know. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? But, yeah, Roy Jones, you know, he, he's going to be, he's going to win um, his spot in the Hall of Fame at some point. And, um, you know, certainly he'll be in, in, in a future ballot uh, without a doubt. It's not this one, the next one, or whenever he finally decides to hang up his gloves when he's, I don't know, 72 years old or whatever, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it's, you know, people always like you said then about, you know, we wish he retired in 2003 after he was, you know, he won the world, a version of the world heavyweight title. Apart, part of me wish he'd gone to Cruiser after that fight, because I think he weighed just under the Cruiserweight limit that, that night, just under uh, that night. And I really wish he'd have just gone to Cruiser, won a belt or two at Cruiser, and then rode off into the sunset. But a friend of mine once said to me, once you've climbed Everest, you've always climbed Everest. You Roy Jones climbed Everest. And yeah. nothing that came after that can take away from what he did at, in his prime. He was an elite fighter, the best fighter in the world for a long time, by some distance as well. And he made a quality, you know, another probably future Hall of Famer, James Tony. Again, he completely dominated him at 168 pounds. It was just a masterful performance. So, like you said, Roy will go in one day. I imagine most of that list will go in one day because there's so many good fighters on
0: there. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, before we wrap up we've got a question um let me find it uh let me find the question paul uh so it's from a chap called alex riddell thank you so much for the question it's a really good question um and his question is how would you recommend someone that only tends to watch the inverted commas big fights expands their knowledge what else to watch what would you say paul
2: well, I'd say at the moment, whilst we've got the luxury of getting a lot of fights free on TV with the Channel 5s and uh, and whatever else, I'd say try and watch as much of everything as you possibly can. Um, you can't guarantee there's going to be uh, a good fight every time you watch uh, an, a couple of elite fighters locking horns, but there's usually a good chance that it's going to be of better quality due to the fact that they're um they're fighting for uh, for the money or their step up to get the next big paycheck or whatever may be. The issue all comes down to matchmaking. So if you've got good matchmakers and uh, let's say, for example, you know, we're looking at the, the guys that just come out of the Olympics and they've won a medal. There's a good chance that their first few fights are going to put them in with journeymen that they can walk over just to sort of get their rank na- names up the rankings. And that's it. But I'm going to give an example here. I remember being at the, uh, the Camden Centre in, uh, in September of 2013 and there was Gary Bolden um, fighting against um, Elliot Matthews. And um so it was for the southern area uh middleweight title. Middleweight. And, Elliot, um,
1: Elliot used to train my brother, so I know him. Oh, we did. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah.
2: Lovely lads. But, uh, yeah, but is, actually, yeah. uh, um, Elliot, I, I've met him on a few occasions, and he's got a great memory as well. Actually, um, you know, lovely, lovely south. I think he's from Watford, sort of way. So, yes, he is, yeah. And um, I, I remember sort of seeing. I you know, was we talking before about sort of Zapeda and that. Now. This wasn't about knockdowns. This is the equivalent of knockdowns, but in, in cuts. And, uh, and I think the first round, whoever it was, one of them got cut. It was, um, I think it was actually Bolden that got the first um, big cut. And uh, it was one of those ones where when you saw it, you're like, oh, that's it. That's, that's got to be done. And uh, the cut man, I don't know, he threw in like eight gallons of adrenaline in there and managed to stop it and uh, squeeze out Vaseline. And the next thing, Gary Bolden's cut. And it was like, and he's cut. <laughs> and it's like, and but then Golden and, um, and Matthews are both cut. So I'm thinking, God, it's, it's going to get stopped on cuts. It's got to be stopped on cuts. And um, the next thing, um, Elliot Matthews is cut over both eyes. So he's got it streaming down. It must have been sort of over the, um, uh, his, his eyebrows, as opposed to sort of, you know, um, on the eyelid or something um but but either way both fighters faces looked like they'd had a crucifixion going on i mean the amount of blood that was streaming down their face was, was was incredible the cuts men whatever they were being paid at night needed five times the amount because they in between rounds were doing miracles both fighters had their cuts opened up time and time again but it wasn't to the point where the cuts were, were getting longer and deeper and whatever it's just they were just bleeding so it went the full 10 rounds and um Elliot won it and uh and that was it but that was a cracking fight. And that was in front of maybe four or five hundred people. And um, if I had sort of decided I didn't want to go and see. And that was that the headline fight of the night. Everyone was standing up. Absolutely everybody. It was phenomenal. It was one of those ones where it's like there was a, a sense of euphoria in the building where people, the strangers were all going to the pub next door afterwards and just discussing this fight. It was outstanding. And I want to got the opportunity to do that. I guess if I'd have had the mindset of just look at the big fights, Um And the other day, I think I don't know if it was BT Sport or Sky or whoever, they popped the question out there. We showed a clip of Ricky Hatton um, doing a body shot, and they said, "What's the most memorable body shot you can remember?" Remember. And again, it was at the uh, the Candle Center, and it was little Charlie Hoy. And I said, "You know, Charlie won't mind me saying that because I think he is about five foot two, five foot three, but he bangs like hell." And um, that night, his fighter, his his opponent, Mm -hmm. there's a guy I can't remember from uh, from Bulgaria saying. He caught him with a hook to the body and he went down. You can see there was a lot of pain. And he stood up and then, bearing in mind, I'm, I'm ringside. I'm about 10 feet away. i got a pen and my pad in my hand. And um, this guy stands up and it's like the fight's over. And then all of a sudden he threw up. And he threw up. It looked like about two or three months worth of food. I mean, it, it was just phenomenal. The smell was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. I remember Mickey Heliot sort of diving away. He almost got hit by the spew and uh and everyone else around it as well going jesus and and like then the one of the guys in the british boxing board of control saying to his corner go and clean it up mate you know now so uh but that for me was again you know if i hadn't gone to a small hall show i wouldn't have had that experience Now it was close up and the good thing is when hopefully you know when covid clears up and we could be looking at a year or so until we get full arenas and, and, and no masks and whatever else but Going to small halls, the, the atmosphere in it is fantastic and you can genuinely sometimes get the opportunity to see the new emerging talent, the guys who haven't had an amateur background and maybe had two Kung Fu fights or something have now become a boxer and you suddenly see them going out there and doing a number on a person who was maybe had eight fights and uh, although it might be a journeyman, but you see them going in there and, and doing something special. To see that in a small hall is great. To see the same fight in the O2 arena, it's cool, but you're kind of thinking, OK, they know something about this guy already. So, um, yeah, the grit versus the glamour um, can often be can often be phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think you've nailed it there, Paul. I, I think you're right, um, Alex. I think get get yourself when you can, when it's safe to get yourself to a small hall show uh it's not going to cost you the earth but like paul said it's a fantastic atmosphere there as well um i'm gonna come at it from a come at this question from a slightly different angle paul um there's fights and there's the small hall classics that that paul talks about but when i as i was getting into boxing i used to hoover up documentaries and hoover up boxing books i used to read boxing books all the time i still do i still do and i think a good way uh, of getting into it is if you do have some time get on youtube and watch some of those hbo documentaries about sugar ray robinson about the four kings about these legendary fighters and then if you get a little bit more time read some of the hamil khan noir books that you've obviously wrote one paul about, about johnny Tapia, because they're short uh, I think if, if you enjoy reading a short book about uh, a boxing book, they are about 100 pages or less, then get yourself into a saying a bit more meaty. Get your, get a 500-page book in you or get, you know, get a, a proper biography or, or the Four Kings book itself into you because I think just building yourself up through documentaries and through classic fights, the Ring Magazine Fight of the Year, you know, you, you search them, you can always watch those on YouTube as well. I think that's another good way of coming at it, Paul. What do you think?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you mentioned about Hamilcar, they also have the Hannibal Boxing website, and I've done about mm. 30 articles from them and that, and most of them have been sort of to so everything from your Clinton Woods to your Duke McKenzie, Colin McMillans, um, Steve Collins, uh, Richie Woodall etc. 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 And they're they're good sort of like I'm I'm not saying they're good as in the the quality. I'm saying um, that the length they're a good length they're about sort of um, between two and four thousand words. And and then if you're looking for retro retro, I uh, you know I, I do the stuff for British vintage and like the Joe Bugner article was like a couple of thousand words. I've done one on Jack Dempsey, I've done one on Rocky Marciano um john henry lewis the uh the uncle of LL cool j um you know there, there's there's some there's some cracking sort of bits out there but what i love these days is um as a big fan of say for example jack dempsey um is watching the uh, the remodeled uh, footage um, and documentaries of him which they've converted from color from black and white sorry into color and uh, and that's that that's phenomenal you know thank god for technology um but yeah i totally recommend everything you said Akau cow and i I also think that um, uh, maybe sort of springboarding into the, the shorter articles first, and then sort of saying, right, you know what? I've just read an article and say, um, I don't know, Colin McMillan. Now on want to read biography, or um, I've just read uh, one on I don't know, Joe Bugner, and uh, again, sort of same thing. Or let me watch a documentary on YouTube on that person. Uh, I mean, the Tapia book um, that I, you know, was very fortunate to to write about um, with a much larger word count, I probably could written a f- 10 times the amount in there but uh, but having the opportunity to to correspond with the likes of, sort of Bruce Trampler and uh, working alongside Teresa Tapia to shine a torch into a few corners that previously had been touched was uh, was very special for my side and uh, and I guess hopefully for the people that have had the chance to read the books or will read them in the future they'll enjoy them as well that's one thing I, I remember um sort of failing pretty much everything at school English language about five times and whatever else and it was one of those things that um I had a real problem with writing I you know never mind sort of being a writer it was uh I've I've developed as a writer over the years with a lot of practice and um and picking up bits from people it's been just a lot of repetition and enthusiasm which sort of driven me forward but I always remember years ago thinking not that many years ago maybe 10 years ago and I remember sort of I was either in in my car I was in a room or I was somewhere maybe out in a restaurant and I suddenly started thinking about material stuff and I was thinking this car one day will be crunched up and put into a scrapyard and this sofa I'm sitting on will disappear. All the material stuff around me is going to disappear in some way and all the wealth I've got will disappear. And one day I'm going to disappear as well. You know, I'll be dead and buried and there'll be nothing left. However, in a thousand years time,
1: my books will still be around in some form. What a way to end it. I'm not going to say anything else, Paul um so alex we hope you answered your question and we hope that everybody else listening got something out of uh, out of that as well because a lot of our a lot of our listeners because I, I always meet i've met been lucky enough to meet quite a few of our listeners and they always say the same thing they always a lot of them say the same thing i'm not a massive boxing historian i'm not a massive boxing nerd but you guys always break it down for us in a really in a way that's accessible and
2: alex, so I- it was a great question from alex and if he's got any any other questions feel free to hit me up on um on on, on twitter and uh, you know be, be good to do an exchange with him and um this is a great great platform to discuss um those sort of things the podcast comes like you know it, we go off in tangents and you come at great angles there uh cal so it's um it, it helps to surface what a lot of people are automatically mm. thinking
1: yeah absolutely so thank you so much once again paul for coming on uh yeah brilliant thank you so much i really appreciate it thanks for having me on mate all right take care